This is your place for all things Detroit Red Wings and all things Chicago Blackhawks. With your hosts, Jordan Linscott, David Barnhouse, Nick LePage, and Tim Stampanato. This is the Stick Blade Podcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to another edition of the Stick Blade Podcast. It is your place for all things Detroit Red Wings, all things Chicago Blackhawks, and just general news around the NHL. League's starting to finally come back to life. Uh, a couple topics for tonight. First being that in terms of the league in general, Phase 3 has officially been announced. Basically what this means is this formal practices are coming back. So that means that it shouldn't be terribly long before we actually get real games coming back into the schedule to watch. Um, as far as I'm aware, plans are still that there won't be fans at the game. So no in-person viewing, unfortunately. But at least, if nothing else, hockey's coming back. So, so that's something to be excited about. On the Wings end of the podcast, we're going to be talking about the fact that, you know, the season's done for the Wings. At this point, the playoff formats are set. The Wings aren't playing in a playoff round. And since these camps are going to come back, just sort of what, when we look back at the season for the Wings, has it meant what were some of the greats, what were some of the bads? And just sort of looking at, in general, how do we think the organization handled this year? Uh, Oops, sorry. Then we move over to the Hawks side of the podcast. We're going to be talking about uh, Kanan Debrinkit in particular, returning to play with the practices, or the mini practices, so to speak, that are going on. And also the fact that Ian Mitchell's not looking like he's going to be getting to play with the club uh, moving towards playoff format. Um, but with all that being said, I'm going to stop rambling for tonight. Uh, my name is Jordan Linska. I'm the host of this podcast, and I'm joined by my co-host, David Barnhouse, Nick LePage, and Tim Stampanato. That is right. We have the four-man crew back. How are you doing tonight, fellas? The four horsemen. Uh-oh. There's an apocalypse coming. Oh, we are back, baby! Let's do it. Feels good. Oh, man. I'm so happy to be back, guys. Uh, you know, it's been a couple of weeks off, but you know, I'm happy to be back talking hockey with all you guys. And, uh, you know, I finally got another Blackhawks brother on this podcast. So, I mean, let's get this thing yeah. started, boys. Let's rock and fucking roll. All right, well, let's just jump into, I think, probably the most important news on this podcast. Um, the NHL announced that the third phase of the reopening is going to be coming. And for anybody who doesn't really familiarize themselves with the news in general, this broke, I believe it was two days ago. So basically, this is the plan for the NHL's third phase of opening. On July 10th, it looks like the 24 teams that are in the playoffs are going to be able to open formal practices. And as far as I'm aware, the actual start date of the playoffs is not yet determined, which is going to be their fourth phase of opening. But just the fact is that come July 10th, the team's going to be able to have actual formal practices. And this is different than the little mini practices that the league's going to be trying out, which I believe was limited to six players. You're talking a full-blown practice with these formal ones on the 10th of July. So... It's also going to be this thing where the league's going to be looking at, you know, safety and hazard type conditions as well, from what I've understood. I'm, if nothing else, I'm excited to see the teams practicing again. What are you guys' takes on this one? On the head with the fact that, you know, we've got the official date of July 10th, but there are the stipulations of making sure it's safe and the league is moving forward cautiously, which 
honestly, given the pandemic, I like to see it. Uh, the couple of the Blackhawks were actually available the other day from, you know, like Laz- Mark Lazarus and a couple other people were actually able to interview a couple of the Blackhawks for the first time in months. And, you know, Kane is quoted with saying that, you know, the NHL is putting out these dates and whatnot. And as players, you know, we're taking a step back and saying, wait, why are these dates being put out when we haven't really agreed to anything yet? Uh, and he talked about being cautious, like you talked about, you know, he's excited to be getting ready to play hockey again but i think there's still those reservations of okay we want to make sure that we're not rushing into this for the sake of rushing in and it seems like the league and the players association are doing their due diligence to make sure that they get this right so that's an exciting thing for me it's hockey and it's also going to be as safe as it can be yeah yeah i don't i don't know if you guys have had this discussion the past couple weeks when it comes to they they said they're gonna going to do the test after every game. Like, do you actually see that happening, or is that like a PR stunt? Do you believe that's gonna happen? Because I mean, I can't I can't see players wanting to get cotton balls shoved up their nose and up to their brains every game. I mean, I could see it happening just because this is a serious thing. We've lost a hundred and almost fifteen thousand people so far, um, and they want to show the fans like. We're taking it seriously, so you should too. So I feel like, yeah, they will do it. And, I mean, they're hockey players. They get their teeth knocked out. They get banged up, you know, separated shoulders, raised a cup like Doug Waite. Um, they can handle getting a Q-tip shoved up their nose. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I was just asking just because, like, yeah. I, I mean, I know they're all, like, like they want to go back on the ice. Like, this is the first time the Hawks are back in the playoffs in three years, three seasons now. I, I, I just feel like it's... They'll do whatever it takes. Like I know the, Kane had a recent interview, or just Bowman also. He was just stating how like how great it is for the Hawks to be in this playoff atmosphere. I know, regardless of no fans and all, but they get to play. Like Alex DeBrink is playing in his first playoff game, so this is this is a big stage. And I mean, I know they're willing to. That was like a stupid conversation to bring up, but like it's it, it's exciting for what they're going to have to go through, and uh, I'll see how some of these new guys adjust to the playoff as playoff atmosphere. Oh yeah. Definitely. I think really it's going to be this. If you're in sports and you're playing at the top level of competition like these guys are, if somebody tells you, if you want to get your name on this trophy, or at least have the chance of getting your name on this trophy and basically be immortalized in the sport, I don't think any player is going to say, no, you you can't actually run this test on me. I think that if that was the only stipulation, these guys would be saying, absolutely, you can do it after every period if you really wanted but i think absolutely players aren't going to care about getting swabbed after every game i mean if i knew i would like something i had dedicated my life to basically was on the line and all i had to do is get no swabbed absolutely i'm doing that every day of the week oh yeah so the formal training that uh or at least formal training camps that the teams are doing i mean we kind of talked about, or I kind of mentioned this at the start of the episode, so I guess we'll kind of talk about the Hawks in particular first. I mean, Ian Mitchell, it sounds like, won't be there, but you guys might have Calvin DeHaan back for these playoffs. I mean, how do you feel like some of these guys who've never had an NHL playoff before are going to handle these camps? Because, I mean, you've got Kirby Doc has never seen an NHL playoff. Adam Boquist has never seen a playoff. Kubalik is going to have his first playoff. Like you've got this whole group of new guys who are going to be training for this environment they've never been in before. We've got Murphy 
has never been in a playoff before. And he's talked about that going from Arizona, you know, over to here. I think he's 26 now. And he's one of the like longest active NHL players that's never been in a playoff game or something or there's some sort of statistic with that. But I think that guys like Dahan, like you mentioned, are going to be a really good bridge gap between these veterans who you know have the playoff experience and they've been through years and years of this postseason and these young guys that are just coming up there you know they've never been in this situation before or you know they're trying to adjust to this new style of hockey and getting back on I think Dahan is going to be a good grounding like middle range that'll be able to bridge that gap yeah I'm on board with Tim I mean Dahan's going to be like that feeling. And I mean, with him getting healthy now too, it's important because we all see the Blackhawks defense this year. I know it's, I think they've allowed 204 goals against, I mean, most of the seasons without him, but Han coming back is, it would be huge for the Hawks, especially with going against an Oilers team that allowed 205 goals against. It just gives them even more of a chance. Like I know maybe Mitchell not being able to play is kind of worrisome and all, but even if he's not allowed, like we were excited about Dahan all off season and maybe being that low key Jalmerson that we've been missing. So uh, yeah, it's it's exciting to have him back. And uh, you know, if Mitchell can't play, I, you could see more guys take on a bigger role this upcoming uh, playoffs. Just building off of that, I think that having Dahan back in our defense and with the fact that and I've mentioned it before a couple times. You know, Boquist was starting to find his footing with Keith and that mentorship that they had going on. Uh, Lucas Carlson was a very pleasant surprise yep. near the end of the year. And then just the way that uh, the Cuckoo and Mata pairing was really stable and consistent as that third pairing. You put Dahan and Murphy together on the second line, let Boquist do his thing with uh, Keith as a mentor. I, there's a reason to be excited. And that's something that we haven't had with defense in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's still pretty far out, but if you guys were going to guess, just based on what we've seen you know, this season with a lot of the Hawks rookies, which rookie do you think really steps up their game this playoff series? Because, I mean, I'm assuming at least one of them is going to take this chance to play the playoffs and say, you know, this is going to be what I want for the rest of my career moving forward. I might as well just jump face first into this thing and embrace it. Which one do you feel like of the rookies is going to be the one who just everybody looks at and says, he took this opportunity and absolutely ran with it? I'll cast my prediction. I think it's going to be Doc. I think that he's got this maturity to him. Uh, He puts himself he's already put himself in situations where he's not afraid to get hit and he's not afraid to you know put himself out there and make a play and try something i think that this playoff atmosphere he's gonna kick in and this is a chance to see if he can come up in clutch moments and he reminds me a little bit he's got that sort of grit he's got those intangibles that we've talked about uh but he's also got really good hands i i think that's the kind of recipe for someone that hits the ground running for the playoffs and can thrive i'm gonna build off tim as well i think doc is kind of one of those guys that he's gonna get his shining moment now 
Like he's going to, he's going to be put in opportunities. Like he, like they kind of slowly groomed him all season long. I, I know we were in this break that we've had for what, three months now. I think this is going to be like Doc's time to shine. It, it's all or nothing at this point. So Doc's going to be playing some big time minutes. Some, he, they slowly worked him into the power play one unit at the end of this, at the end of, uh, I guess the so-called season. So we're going to see a lot of Kirby Doc, and I think he's going to have time to flourish because he's going to be played with guys that are playmakers, skilled goal scorers, and he, he's no longer going to be stuck on like a third-line group. I think they're going to put him with highly skilled guys, and uh, yeah, you might see a whole new level of Kirby Doc in a couple of weeks here. Excited. What do you think steps up their game, David? I think Kirby Doc. I think he's going to have you know a breakout moment in the playoffs. He's looked good for you guys i think it's gonna be him i'm gonna go uh, i'm gonna go somebody different i actually think it's gonna be boquist and for me it's i think he's gonna be paired with keith and keith is gonna be a great mentor for him and as of right now in my opinion the hawks organization is trying to groom him to be keith's successor at one point in the future and i think he's gonna watch the way that keith handles and plays in the playoffs and just sort of feeds off of that and says, if this is what I'm looking to be for this future team going forward, I might as well just embrace it now. And I think he might have a very good playoff. I I agree with you in the sense that I think this is going to be incredibly valuable for Boquist's growth. In terms of breaking out and having some like a Bickle-esque playoff explosion or a Boland-esque playoff explosion... That's where I'm going with Doc, but I do agree that what Boquist is going to get tutelage under Keith and that experience of playoff experience, not just, you know, he'll be able to open up with the offense, but also defending in a playoff atmosphere. I think we're going to see that a year or two down the road. We're going to say, okay, this was it right now when his game shifted and he became that defenseman, if that makes sense. That makes sense, yeah. We can move on to, I feel like it's going to be a bigger part of this podcast also. Um, There's not really a ton of Wings news this week because, I mean, the team's not prepping for the playoffs like the Hawks are, but because of the fact that these training camps for the playoffs have resumed, it's just sort of really set in that the Wings season is officially over and i don't think we've really had a discussion of you know what were the takeaways from the red wings this this current season because we'll all look at the season and say no was it a season of letdowns when you look at the standings yeah absolutely but i think there have also been some positives to take away from the season even though the record wasn't good um i'll start with i think what's probably the biggest one um, Detroit's going to have a mass exodus this offseason with defense. Trevor Daly's gone. Mike Green's gone. And in theory, Danny DeKaiser comes back because he wasn't here really f- for much of the season this season. And Philip Heronic stepped up huge this season for Detroit. I mean, he went from being a player who had gotten a call up and gotten a chance to play to basically a top pairing defenseman who had really great production numbers. I think... He had nine goals. Like, nine goals as basically a rookie defenseman. And he's playing on Detroit, of all teams, a team that is not exactly stacked at the blue line. And 
he was logging 20 plus minutes a night some games as a basically a rookie defenseman that's huge i think for development and it shows that he might be a top pairing defenseman one day i mean what did you think of him in particular this season david i think Haronic really like like you said stepped up into a role that we didn't expect him to fill right away and he's probably going to be going forward our top pairing defenseman my hope is we get him and hopefully more exciter um eventually together because that good one-two punch of Haronic being the more offensive-minded one and uh, Cider being the more defensive-minded one kind of working together would be a really good pairing for us in the future. But like you were saying with this mass exodus, yes, we're losing all those players. Do we really need those players? I mean, Trevor Daly thinks he's a superstar when he's really not anymore. But what that's going to do is that's going to open the door for guys like Cider, Chelowski, um, and others to fight for their way in Lindstrom. Like guys like that to fight for their way into the team and prove their worth that they should be playing for the Red Wings and not in the Griffins. It's actually a really exciting spot for you guys to be in. Having that having some spots open for healthy competition. I'm gonna guess that you're gonna bring in one or two free agent or PTO guys that will push some of these younger guys and make them say, Oh, I'm not gonna just get this spot. I'm gonna have to fight for it. Yep. And that's a that's a good position to be in. Yeah, it's gonna thrive these younger guys to you know they're gonna be hungry for a roster spot. So I I, I agree with Tim that the Wings are kind of in a, a good position right now. Just with these younger guys are gonna be more hungry this off season for them, and you know this is uh, this is their time to take advantage of a wide open opportunity now. Yep, and I think you know since we won't be one of the teams returning, this is giving all these guys this resting period and to make them more hungry. And I could see us, like, hypothetically, we get Lafreniere, who I feel like could make the Red Wings roster right away. I could see us really being a force. I don't think we'll make the playoffs next year, but we could be a team that could challenge a lot because these guys are going to be real hungry. You know, don't underestimate a well-rested Abdulkader. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> All the way that you said Kirby Doc has the intangibles, Abdicator has the intangibles too. The only difference is Abdicator's intangibles don't make up for lack of production. Yeah, exactly. You can't <laughs> just have intangibles. That's the thing they don't tell you. Like, yeah. Like his intangibles are off the chart. The only problem is he has to actually make it onto the points chart at some point. So. <laughs> Remember how hyped we were when Abdicator debuted against the Penguins in the playoffs and like scored back-to-back two goal games you know i was in the minority for wings camp when we signed abdicator like the moment i saw that contract i hated it everybody i talked to was like oh it's such a great signing it's such a great signing no it's legitimately terrible like even mm-hmm. when he started rick and Dadzuk, he's still not great but the one of the other uh pieces i want to talk about that i think is a big takeaway from this season for the wings the forward pool from Detroit. I mean, it's obvious that Mantha Larkin and Bertuzzi are, quote-unquote, the core of the forward group moving forward. But Philip Zadina, I feel like, really established himself this season when he got the chance to play. I mean, you look at who he got paired with, right? He got paired with guys like Franz Nielsen or Philpola, guys who aren't these amazing playmakers who just basically generate the chances for you and you finish them. 
Sedina really, I think, started to show what he can be for us this season. I mean, mm-hmm. if you go back and watch the tape, it's not even just like the goals that he scored. It's the decisions that he makes. It's the finesse that he has and how he handles the puck. The game style that he has looks like a style that fits with the NHL, and he already looks like an NHL everydayer. And that's awesome considering he's only 20. Yeah, he's... um. He's going to be a real force coming up, and he's a guy that's been hungry since we drafted him. I mean, he said that Ottawa, Montreal, whoever, I'm going to fill your net with pucks. And that was just, like, badass thing to say. And I, I believe him when he said it. Like, yes, he started off struggling because he's a young kid and still learning the, you know, game in the NHL. But we saw last year he had eight goals, I think 15 assists in the short amount of time he played before he fractured his ankle. Um, He's going to come back with a fire under his ass, and I'm excited for that. That's one of the things that has always stood out with me, his his draft day when he's like, "I'm, you're going to regret not drafting me. He's got a fire, and he's passionate about this game. And we've seen kids come into the league that have all the skill in the world and maybe they're lacking the the passion or maybe they they love this game and they're just lacking about Zadina's got it. He's got mm-hmm. the full package. It, he's going to have growing pains because like you said, he's young coming up in the league, but I have no doubt watching this guy play, he's going to be a dangerous top 6 player. I mean, yeah, I mean we started to see him blossom over the season. I mean, I know we kind of flashback to that night uh the hawks wings game at the united center that jordan was there the way he controlled the power play that night just his little short-sighted goal was like a it was like a flash it was early in the or it was mid-season but that kind of flashed of what he has to show like the comp like once he gets his confidence he is lethal on the ice yeah he, he is someone to look out for he is a guy that teams are gonna have a target on his back because he's going to be able to one of these like very soon he's going to be able to control the game that like the game's going to come through him kind of like the way Patrick Kane plays and I think Zadina maybe one or two years down the road he might be in discussion for one of the like top players in the game if that if everything develops the way it's already been he's going to be something to reckon with yeah and like you were saying he's going to have a target on his back that's why I'm excited for guys like uh Timoshev and Giovanni Smith to hopefully make the roster so they can you know be his you know, bouncers, his bodyguards. Like, you touch him, we're going to whoop the crap out of you. Because Timoshev is a very aggressive, you know, checker player. And Giovanni Smith isn't afraid to drop gloves. It's kind of like how, you know, Fedorov wasn't much of a fighter for us, but he had guys like Darren McCarty and Shanahan and others that were willing to, like, you know, put him up for him. The thing about Zadina is, I mean, we touched on this a couple episodes ago, but. When you look at the advanced stats for him, he's he's legitimately got some of the best defensive stats from his draft class already. And the thing is, I mean, I'll emphasize this again. He played for the Red Wings and had those numbers. He did not have superstar players. And this isn't a knock on, you know, Mantha or Larkin or any of those types of players. But just the fact is, you know... He wasn't playing with like a Sidney Crosby or an Evgeny Malkin or a Connor McDavid type player who could really help him pad those stats. Those stats were generated on his own. Cool, is you're right about the fact that he's going to have a target on his back, but that's also going to open up and provide room for 
Mantha and Larkin and some of these other guys, even like a couple of the other young guys that are coming up, like uh, Joe Valeno, like you're going to be able to he's going to open up and give space to these other guys that hopefully you're going to have a couple of different people that can be threats on the ice and they won't know where to look. It's like the thing, like Detroit, I think is, that's probably the biggest takeaway from this season. I think like Detroit showed that in terms of the forward group that they have, once these big cap hit contracts come off the book, that core group of guys who can already produce, they basically already have it. They've got a certified top line center in Dylan Larkin. They have what looks to definitely be a top-line winger in Mantha and in Zadina. They've got guys who can play grit and they're just, they're everyday NHLers like Bertuzzi, who even like, if if Bertuzzi is not a top-line winger for us, he's at least a second-line winger and a great one, a damn good one at that. Oh, yeah. Detroit has shown this season at forward, they've basically got it figured out. It's strictly defense now that they need to have figured out. Even then, you're on the right track there with Ronick and Snyder uh, or Cider. You've got guys coming up that are going to be pushing for those spots. This is the exciting part of a rebuild is getting to watch the pieces come together. That's sort of where you're at right now. The uh, the last thing that I want to touch on it uh, for this little season uh, wrap talk is just also the cap space situation that Detroit's going to be in because this is another big thing to touch on for Detroit. Detroit has been a cap-strapped team for basically the past decade or so. Every time they've had cap space, they've went out and spent it. They've acquired somebody. They've traded for somebody to basically get as close to the cap as they can. This offseason, Detroit's going to have, I think it's close to $20 million in cap space coming off the books. If Detroit looks to free agency for even just like a couple holdover pieces, they can get basically anybody they want from free agency to a two or three year deal until this rebuild is quote unquote over. That's I think one of the other big takeaways from the season. What do you think? Uh, what do you think their number one goal this off season is going to be? Is it round out, pick out a couple of, you know, free agent guys to add in? Is it getting things planned? Like, what do you, what do you see right now? as like okay we've got this cap space we can add what would what's one or two things that you think they'd do what do you think they're doing uh i think we're gonna bring in like uh tim said earlier maybe a couple defenders to kind of i think nick said it when you said it um to kind of challenge the young guys um i would love Braden holpe i know it wouldn't help the 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 rebuild but he would be a star caliber goalie to kind of just shore up that spot because Looking at our pipeline, I don't see anybody that's going to be ready anytime soon. Um, I think our forwards are fine. We should not be signing any forwards unless something crazy happens. It's defense and goalies for me. Cap spaces off season. I I think that they should sign a starting caliber goaltender if they can get one for around six million. Because, like David was saying, I just. I look at Detroit's goaltending pipeline, and there's no definite starter, it looks like, at the moment. A lot of the guys in that pipeline still look to be probably three or four years out, if we're being realistic. So you've got to have somebody there in the starter position who is able to play that. Bernie basically did that this season, so you can't 
expect him to do that every night again. So you go out and get your starting caliber goaltender in, like I said, say you pay five or six million for him. That leaves you about 15 to play with. Bertuzzi and Mantha need contracts. And I would assume Mantha's probably going to probably gonna get around seven to seven and a half mil. Bertuzzi, I think, could probably take three and a half to four, which as unfortunate as it is, I'll, I'll reference him again. Bertuzzi deserves Abdulkader's money. So mm-hmm. the rest of it, I think you just basically use on, again, like what David said, you know, these stopgap defensive pieces to fill out your roster and provide competition. That's really how I think that Detroit should handle this offseason. Makes sense to me. I think uh, I'm, I'm still a big fan of Tory Crew going back to Detroit. It's a Michigan State or he, yeah, God, Michigan I State wish. boy. I, 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 it seems like there's ties there. I, I know hockey players, they always just want to play close to home. It's something about that. And I think Tory Krug is still a realistic option. I mean, you could go out there and get a good goaltender in Tory Krug, and yeah, that's a successful offseason right there. My only now, worry is he, is he a restricted free agent? No, Krug's the UFA this season. Like, my thing is just how much does Tory Krug want for money, though? Like, because. We've seen it completely backfire with guys like we were joking about it before the podcast, but Eric Carlson, man, they are forking out like 11 million for him and it's not panning out. Like I Detroit can't afford to have that happen. Well, I'd put Krug, I'd ballpark Krug probably, uh, I don't know, seven to eight mil. Seven and to also, eight, seven what's eight and a half. injury record? Because Carlson's had a couple of those pretty nasty injuries that he's played on and that he's, you know, had to recover from and whatnot. If you can pull Krug away at a, you know, like seven or 800, like I think Nick was saying, if you're able to pull him and a decent starting goaltender, your rebuild is no longer a rebuild. Now it's getting these young guys in and now you've got to move like that just speeds up your process. Yeah, and Jordan, like you were saying, we're having a mass exodus. We're going to have cap space. Basically, we turn Trevor Daly and Mike Green into Tory Krug. Not a bad. I'm I'm perfectly fine with that. That's some alchemy right there, and I love it. <laughs> you took like a you took like a power play quarterback who was pretty old, and a defenseman who was pretty old and couldn't really skate either, and you turned him into Tory Krug. I guess it's not bad. Do a lot worse. Yep. I'm looking at Tory Krug's injury right or injury history right now, and based on what I'm seeing, it looks like he's had. Let's see, 2019 was not a a fantastic year for him injury wise, but 2018 and 2017 were not bad for him. So all of his injuries, for the most part, have been just strictly day to day injuries. Uh, the only ones where he was actually out, it looks like, were. November of last year and he had one around Christmas of last year so that's really it in terms of him actually being out out the rest of them it looks like they've all been day-to-day injuries so I mean that's not terrible in terms of like an injury record it at least shows he's able to actually be durable yep. well there it is we've got Krug watch now Krug watch, <laughs> Krug watch 2020 we get the Baywatch theme do, do, do. I love it I feel like that's basically it for the wing side of the podcast, and it's sort of it for the actual podcast topics, because, I mean, it's not really a huge news week. The shutdown basically takes away a lot of our segments like the flash forward and the flashback. 
Mm-hmm. Um, does anybody else have anything else that they want to talk about before we transfer out of the league and take the uh, the podcast out? Oh uh, yeah, uh, who's your guys' dark horse for? Oh, playoffs? Said, I think we said this. Ah, who who are we picking? But we want to hear yours. I think yeah, do it again. I All said right, well, Ham. No, who did I say? You you and I both said Boston. Both said the worst yeah, team. We both said Boston. Yeah, we pissed off Nick for we picked Astro with Boston. Oh, just love Marshawn. <laughs> if I'm going with a dark horse pick, I like Philly. I like Philly. Okay. Kinda hot. Going to Philly. Philly, I like. Uh, we'll go. We'll, we'll go. I'll go a dark horse in the West. Oh fuck. Uh, Philly, Colorado. I don't know. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm going to support the Blackhawks through it all, but uh, that's hot. If you did, if you couldn't pick the Blackhawks, which team do you think is going to do it? Yeah, it, I would think Philly, Colorado would be a Stanley Cup final. Then like that'd it. be a fun one. That'd be a fun one. When was the last time Philadelphia went to the Cup Finals? Twenty um, ten. Was it twenty ten? That was the that against year. the Hawks. <laughs> that was the last time they were there. Yeah, they lost to the Wings in '97. No, '90. Yeah, '97. So, I mean, it's been a while since Philly's been there. Um, I'm trying to remember when Colorado's last trip was. Um, was it Marsh the Bergera. year they beat us? Ninety? Was it 90, 90, 95? They've been there before. I think. Colorado Avalanche Stanley Cup. Let's see. Two thousand one. Oh man, so it's been even longer for the Avs. Yeah, nineteen wow. years. They've won two cups. Ninety six and two thousand one. Man, since it's been even longer for the Avs. Yeah, who did they beat in 2001? 2001. Devils. Devils. Uh, wow, okay. Yep, they beat oh, uh, game-winning goal, or series-winning goal by Alex Tange. Oh, what a throwback. MVP was Patrick. I'm a douchebag. Wah. You can't hear. He's got two rings in his ears. Yeah, yeah and he also dropped the puck in his own net against the Red Wings. Oh, I'm just excited, man. July 10th can't come any quicker. Yeah, yeah, let's it all goes according to before plan. we know it. It'll be here before we know it. Did you guys but, catch this uh, Blackhawks Zoom meeting, the 2010? I, I didn't catch the actual Zoom meeting. I listened. I read a bunch of uh, Mark Lazarus's reports on it because uh, I've got an athletic subscription, so I yeah. try and keep an eye on that. It was a classic, man. I mean, it was cool to see all the guys. Like, uh, who was it? It was Buff. It was great to see Bufflin back. And man, then uh, so good. Roy Brower, Christopher Stieg. Um, Andrew Ladd, like it, it just everybody that played a minor role that had their like they mentioned that every Blackhawk had one shiny moment in that series, and what a throwback, man! That was just okay. uh, Zoom meeting was just to take a trip down memory lane. That it ten years ago already, like wow, that's such a magical cup run that watching all those guys and watching them then splinter off, you know, because we had to dismantle the team and watching these guys be stars on other teams or be, you know, big role-playing guys on other teams. It's like, if we had kept some, if we could have been able to keep some of it together, not that, I mean, what am I going to complain about? Three cups in six years. But, like, we could have been monsters. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Troy Brower, I think, what did Troy Brower, the guy that buried the game-winning goal against the Blackhawks in 2000, what was it? The, is that 16? Yeah. Yeah, he's game seven against the Blues. I think he bar- I think he was the one that buried the... He was. I felt so betrayed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Holy. So looking at the 2001 Stanley Cup, sorry, I just freaking just learned something new. I didn't realize Stan Kroenke owns this many teams. I didn't know he owned all the Colorado teams. He owns... Arsenal from the Premier League, 
the Los Angeles Rams, the Denver Nuggets, Colorado Avalanche, the Colorado Rapids, Colorado Mammoth, which is lacrosse team, the Los Angeles Gladiators of Overwatch League, and now the Los Angeles Gorillas of the Call of Duty League. Jeez. I, that's so many leagues to keep track of. How is that possible? I guess because it's owned by his company, Scrumpy Sports and Entertainment, that they're able to do that work around. So I thought like a person couldn't own more than a certain number of teams. That's why the Illiches weren't allowed to buy the Pistons. Yeah, that's crazy. Teams. <laughs> I mean, I wonder if that's the reason why, because uh, you said it was a sport, like it was a sport company, right? Yeah, sports, uh, crunky sports and entertainment. I wonder what, like, I know Colorado went through that issue at the beginning of the uh, season that they couldn't show their games to fans. I wonder if that was a big part of it. Like, they went. Oh, come- interesting. I, I didn't. And now that you brought that up, it's all coming back to me. I know it's been, uh, what, 10 months now, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Learn something new every day. All right, Jordan. All right. So if we don't have anything else to cover for the actual league news or team specific news, um, we haven't had fan mail in a while, so if you're listening to this episode, give us an email or a Facebook message or a tweet or something. I want some. Um, so since we don't have any, though, I had a, an idea. Um, we're coming to this COVID Cup, as we've called it, which it's going to be a really memorable cup just because of the way that it's going to shake out and how it sort of went down. What is your guys' most memorable cup from the respective organization that like you guys follow and like, Ooh. why is it like your most memorable one? Oh, that's a toughie. <laughs> Nick, do you want to go first or? Yeah, I'll go. Uh, I mean, 2010, I was still young. That's the thing. Like I was, I was 13, but like hockey was just back on the rise in Chicago. Like, don't get me wrong. I followed the Hawks still, but like most memorable, I would say would be 2015. I was 18 years old and just with Kaner going down before, the trade deadline and acquiring from Matt Desjardins uh, team and in didn't really play a big part, but like I, that's 2015 was probably my, one of my favorites just because it, or yeah. I mean, it was just like, I felt that was the as confident as I've ever felt like bought the Boston series in 2013. That was, it scared the hell out of me. Like I, it, it could have gone either way, but 2015 against Tampa, I'm just like, nobody's stopping the Blackhawks. Like no matter what they went through, it, it was going to work out because that roster was so deep. It's just so hard to compare, but 2015, just with my age being 18 and being able to celebrate and going down to parade and just like the memories of the train ride to the parade and at the parade just being hammered out of my mind. It was it was quite a couple of days. Fantastic. Um, I like you said, it's so hard to choose which one. I mean, the 2010 one, I had just gotten back from my freshman year of college. I was, you know, 19 years old, but what's it called the 2013 run was in this incredible wild ride you had you know the lockout shortened season and all of a sudden we went on this just absolute tear and then you get into the playoffs i was working on the south side of chicago at the time and so i'd be at this sports bar and like oh my gosh all i just remember watching the final game and we're like well like all right i guess we're going to game seven then it's hey wait we tied it up. We're going to overtime. And then it's, wait, no, we won. Wait, we won? <laughs> and I remember, like, people thinking it was on a, a replay of the last goal. And we're just, we're watching this, and everyone's like, shut up, shut up, shut up. We got to actually pay attention. Now it's this whole bar is just, like, holding their breath. And you're right. That Boston series, we were sweating. And it was intense. And it was just... 
that 2013 team is gonna stay with me you know emory and crawford being unstoppable in that it's it's a thing of beauty for me yeah you're absolutely right about that i mean for me there's so many i could choose from like as a kid kid watching you know the back-to-back cups and going in my driveway and on my rollerblades skating around and shooting the puck in a garbage can reenacting like the big goals from that um i could talk about you know the monster of an all-star team we had in 0203 with uh just every big name we were just unstoppable but for me i think it was you know my second year of college the 08 cup and just seeing you know nick lindstrom who I thought was the greatest player, probably one of the greatest players of all time. Um, Datsuk just dismantling people. Johan Franzen scoring multiple goal games, getting me those Arby's curly fries because it was like, score a hat trick, you get curly fries. And Franzen scored like two or three hat tricks in that playoff. So I was just raking in curly fries. Uh, Watching the final game with my best friend, we both grew playoff beards and freaking Zetterberg getting the butt goal off a flurry. And that's just like, waiting with bated breath as Hosa's shot drifted just across the goal and Osgood blocking it and just losing our freaking minds, realizing we just watched our team win a Stanley Cup and then shaving our beards off to leave a mustache. <laughs> it was just the best. I really got to go with the 2002 one. I mean, Detroit had that success in 97 and 98, which was awesome. And it was sort of that whole, you know, this team's been building forever, and they had the success finally. But I feel like in 2002, that was probably the best Red Wings lineup that we'll ever see. Oh, and hands down. You're never going to get a lineup that stacked ever again. And the thing is, like Detroit basically at that point, that was the big payoff for constantly being in the dumpster for so long. I mean... The 80s were not a good time for Detroit in hockey. The 90s, it was when we really started making playoffs. And 97, 98, when we won, I was like, all right, that was the payoff. And we're probably going to go downhill at this point because, you know, at some point there's going to have to be this exodus. But weirdly, in 2002, the roster just got even more stacked. And I was like, let's just watch a train roll through. And and that's what happened. I think we had the best record in in hockey, one of the best records of all time. Yeah, like, that O2 team was just loaded from top to bottom, and they just took over games. It was so fun to watch. If nobody has anything else, so I guess we can we can stop uh, reliving nostalgia, and we can end the <laughs> podcast. Um, if you're still listening with us, I appreciate you. We all appreciate you for that matter, tuning into the show. Um, at the end of the day, this is a podcast that is by fans and for fans. There's no sponsorships. There's no, you know pay to enter type deal with this podcast so we appreciate you guys giving us any sort of likes or follows or whatever the social media currency is of choice that you find us on um with that being said if you want to find the podcast and listen to either future episodes or past episodes we've got two ways you guys can do that you can find us either on soundcloud and the address is soundcloud.com slash stickblade podcast uh it's all one word no underscores or anything like that and then if you want to find us on iTunes, again, just type in Stickblade Podcast in the search bar. It'll come up. If you want to find us on social media, we've got a Twitter that you can follow. Uh, the Twitter is at Pod. Again, no underscores, no spaces or anything like that. 
We try to tweet out when episodes go live there just so you can get an update if you don't want to follow us on one of the streaming uh, audio places that we have our audio at. And you can also find us now on Facebook. So if you follow us on Facebook, we also post updates there about when new episodes go live. And also, if you're a fan of the old email, which is how we seemingly have gotten a couple of our fan mail questions, the email address is stickbladepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is stickbladepodcast at gmail.com. So plenty of ways to get an interaction with the podcast. We want to interact with you guys because this is a fan cast. And with all of that being said, for my co-hosts, David Barnhouse, Nick LePage, and Tim Stampanato, this has been another edition of the Stickblade Podcast. Hockey's coming back, everybody, hopefully, and hopefully soon. So with that being said, let's get ready for it.